What is up, my dudes? Welcome back to yet another episode of Olympia Oddities. Um, I've got a really great episode for you guys today. I'm very excited. It's very timely with the, uh, you know, Area 51 raid that's supposed to come up soon. And my other inspiration for this episode was the uh, Shahalis Flying Saucer Party that's happening on the 21st. The Lewis County Historical Museum is throwing it to celebrate a very special Kenneth Arnold, who you'll learn all about in this episode, and his mark on the Pacific Northwest. I'll probably be going to that. Um, I know I have plans with a friend in the morning, but I think my evening's wide open, so I'll probably be checking that out. And they've also installed some pretty cool murals. Murals. You never realize what words you can't say until you have a podcast. Like, I'll type out words. Peninsula was another one. I can't say it. I struggle so hard. Murals that um, have, like, Bigfoot and they have, like, the little, like, Rainier Deer, like, things from, like, the old advertising and they have the UFOs in them. So I'm definitely gonna um, plan a trip down there soon to take some pictures of them. And hopefully either self-timer selfie it out or have someone go with me and get some pictures of me with them because that just sounds perfect and right up my alley. So without any further ado, wait, a little further ado, my dryer is going right now and it's really loud and I was trying to find a way to like get around it, but my poor time management won in the end, so we're just gonna have to deal with that. I'm sorry. Um... That was the further ado. So without that, let's get into this episode. On June 24th, 1947, pilot Kenneth Arnold took off from Chehalis, Washington in a Cal Air A2 plane. He was on a business trip and headed to Yakima, the Palm Springs of Washington. Does anyone know what that sign's about? That's a future podcast episode for me right there. Figuring out what the hell the Yakima, the Palm Springs of Washington sign is even about. Because it's a real head-scratcher, let me tell you. So, the skies were completely clear that day, and there was just a slight breeze. Shortly into his flight, he got word that there was a $5,000 reward to anyone that could find a U.S. Marine Corps C-46 transport airplane that had crashed in the area of Mount Rainier. Um, and that would be the equivalent of about $56,000 in today's money. So good old Kenneth was like, okay, we're gonna make a detour. We're gonna try to find this crashed plane and hopefully walk away a richer man. But he searched and nothing turned up, so he decided to call off his search a few minutes before 3 p.m. He was over the town of Mineral, Washington, and flying at an altitude of about 9,200 feet. He started heading east towards his original destination of Yakima the Palm Springs of Washington. (laughs) Sorry, I'll stop. He suddenly saw a bright flashing light described as being similar to sunlight reflecting off of a mirror. Kenneth's first reaction was that he must be flying too close to another aircraft, and he urgently scanned the skies around him. The only other plane he could see was a DC-4 behind and to the left of him. That plane was a safe distance away, though, at about 15 miles. The skies then lit up with a series of bright flashes of light that seemed to be coming from Mount Rainier. The mountain was only uh, 20 to 25 miles away at this point. Kenneth thought that they might be reflections on his airplane's windows, so he did a few quick tests to try to rule this out. He rocked his airplane from side to side and removed his glasses to see if it made any difference. The flashes of light continued. 
It was then that nine objects came into the view in the sky, with flashes of light reflecting off of them. They were moving across the sky in a chain formation. Kenneth thought that they might be geese, but ruled that out because of the speed, altitude, and shiny flashes coming from the objects. So yeah, nothing like geese, a lot like a weird, mysterious aircraft. Uh, I don't know what that sound is, so I'm gonna fix that and then come back. Okay, I'm back. I don't know what that weird clicking sound was, but I also stopped my dryer, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, thanks for sitting through that. Anyways, so Kenneth wondered if this might be a new kind of jet, and he searched for a tail, but he couldn't find any. The UFOs then flew in front of Mount Rainier, and the contrast against the snow allowed him to view them a little bit better. They were dark in color, but still giving off um, flashes of super bright light occasionally. Kenneth reported that when he could see them from the side, they were almost impossibly thin and flat, and were almost invisible at this angle. According to Jerome Clark, who is an American author specializing in UFO and paranormal phenomena, Kenneth described them as being convex in shape, but later on went to say that one of the objects differed from the rest and was crescent in shape. At this point, the objects flew behind a sub-peak of Rainier and were gone, for view, or gone from view for a few moments. Using his knowledge of his location and the sub-peak, he estimated that the UFOs were about 23 miles away from him. Using a Zeus, D-Z-U-S, Zeus, Zeus, cowling fastener, which is kind of like a flat screw. See, this is where I was like, every topic I pick includes a plane somehow. I don't know how, I don't know anything about planes, but for some reason, I guess I'm drawn to them. Um, if you want to Google it for yourself, DZUS cowling fastener. It kind of looked like a flat screw to me. My dad was trying to explain it to me. I still didn't understand. It's just like a tiny small piece of machinery that he used as a comparison to their size. So he used that object to compare their size to the DC-4 plane that was off in the distance. He estimated that they were slightly smaller than the plane. The objects were grouped together in a formation, but spread out enough to cover an estimated distance of about five miles. Though they stayed at the same altitude, they would weave through the mountains and duck side to side. He noticed that they would flip over or lean sharply to one side, and this is what emitted the brilliant beams of mere blinding light from the crafts. Kenneth was later quoted as saying, They flew with a peculiar dipping motion, like a fish flipping in the sun, he said. They said that they appeared to fly as if almost fastened together. If one dipped, the others did too. As the UFOs moved past Mount Rainier, Kenneth flew his plane southwards in hopes of following the objects parallel to them. He opened his side window so any glass that might have caused the reflection was removed from the equation. He began to time them as they raced through the sky, and he found that they moved from Mount Rainier to Mount Adams where they finally faded from view, which is a distance of about 50 miles, in 1 minute and 42 seconds. When Kenneth Arnold finally landed in Yakima, I'm not going to do it this time, at about 4 p.m., he quickly told his friend and airport general manager, Al Baxter, the story of what he had seen during his flight. The story spread throughout the entire airport, and soon enough, everyone knew about the UFOs Kenneth had claimed to see. He talked about what happened with some of the staff, and later he claimed that Al Baxter hadn't believed him at first. He flew on to an air show in Pendleton, Oregon, Kenneth was unaware, though, that someone from the airport in Yakima had called the Pendleton Airport and let them know of Kenneth's claims. It was during this time that he finally had time to do his calculations to figure out how fast the objects had been moving. He found that the crafts had been moving at around 1,700 miles per hour, 
This was three times faster than any recorded manned aircraft in 1947. Since he didn't know the exact spot that the crafts had disappeared for good, he rounded down to 1,200 miles per hour, still faster than any known aircraft. Once in Pendleton, he spoke to a number of pilot friends about what he had seen. He half expected them to laugh at him or scoff, but instead they suggested that maybe he had seen guided missiles or maybe some new technology that was being tested. Some former army pilots told him that they had been briefed before going into combat that they, quote, might see some objects of a similar shape and design as I described and assured me that I wasn't dreaming or going crazy. Kenneth, however, wasn't sold on this being the explanation, and the next morning he went to the office of the East Oregonian. Though the reporters were skeptical at first, after interviewing Kenneth Arnold at length, they began to believe what he had seen. As historian Mike Dash wrote, Arnold had the, the makings of a reliable witness. He was a respected businessman and an experienced pilot, and seemed to be neither exaggerating what he see had seen, nor adding sensational details to his report. He also gave the impression of being a careful observer. These details impressed the newspapermen who interviewed him and lent credibility to his report. After the article detailing his sighting was published, Kenneth began facing negative effects from the publicity, mostly unwanted attention. On June 27th, he stated, I haven't had a moment of peace since I first told the story. He was called by a preacher who told him that the objects were hairbringers of doomsday and that he was preparing his congregation for the end of days that was soon to come. On July 7th, 1947, two more stories were published about the sighting and Kenneth Arnold's beliefs that they had extraterrestrial origins. He received bunches of fan mail at this point, mostly from people believing his story and eager to try to help solve the mystery. In these articles, he also mentioned buying a camera that he would be bringing with him on all of his future flights. An article written by the Chicago Times said, Kenneth Lewis Arnold is not so certain that the strange complication or strange contraptions are made on this planet. Arnold said that he hopes the devices were really the work of the U.S. Army, but he told the Times in a phone conversation, If our government knows anything about these devices, the people should be told at once. A lot of people out there are very much disturbed. Some think these things may be from another planet, but they aren't harming anyone, and I think it would be the wrong thing to shoot one of them down, even if it can be done. Their high speed would completely wreck them. Arnold, in pointing to the possibility of these discs being from another world, said, Regardless of their origin, they apparently were traveling to some reachable destination. Whoever controlled them, he said, obviously wasn't trying to hurt anyone. He said the discs were making turns so abruptly and rounding peaks that it would have been impossible for human pilots inside to have survived the pressure. So, he too thinks they are controlled from elsewhere, regardless of whether it's from Mars, Venus, or our own planet. And it was very hard not to break out into my old timesy like news reporter voice for some of that just because of the language of it. <laughs> On July 19th, he once again reiterated that he believed that the crafts weren't from this world. The ex-University of Montana swimmer and footballer now says he believes, one, the discs are not from any foreign country, two, the army could give the answer if it would, if they don't have the explanation now, then they certainly could do something to find out, and three, if the army has no explanation, the disc must be, and I know this sounds crazy, from another planet. In an interesting twist to the story, his uh, Kenneth Arnold's sighting is corroborated by another witness who saw similar ob objects during the same time. That weird clicking sound was back. Okay, I think I fixed it. But oh, oh, podcast burp. That's like the first one in like seven episodes. 
We're back in business, baby. <laughs> okay. So, a prospector named... Oh my god, am I gonna have to have my hand on this the entire time so it doesn't click? Maybe. A prospector named Fred Johnson was on Mount Adams on June 24th when he spotted six objects through a small telescope at around the same time that Kenneth saw his objects. He wrote AAF Intelligence and described the objects as round but tapered sharply to a point in the head and in an oval shape. He also detailed that the objects seemingly caused his compass to malfunction while they were, ar they were around. AAF Intelligence did an evaluation of Fred and found him to be a reliable witness. Interestingly, Fred Johnson's account went down in the Air Force files as the first unexplained UFO report, even though they wrote off Kenneth Arnold's sighting and Fred's sighting was seemingly the same exact event. On July 4th, the Oregon Journal uh, received a letter from L.G. Bernier of Richland, Washington. He said that he had seen three unidentified craft flying incredibly fast over Richland, almost edgewise, to Mount Rainier. The time of LG's sighting was about half an hour before Kenneth Arnold saw the crafts himself. He thought that the three might have been separated from a larger group. He remarked on their speed, I have seen a P-38 appear seemingly on one horizon and then gone into the opposite horizon in no time at all, but these discs were certainly traveling faster than any P-38. No doubt Mr. Arnold saw them just a few minutes or seconds later, according to their speed. The previous day, LG had spoken with Richland's lo local paper, The Villager, and said, I believe it may be a visitor from another planet. And about 60 miles away from Richland, over in Yakima, the Palm Springs of Washington, a woman named Ethel Wheelhouse reported seeing several flying discs moving at a high rate of speed at around the same time as Kenneth's sighting. In early July, military intelligence began investigating Kenneth Arnold's claims. They claimed to find yet another witness. This witness to the event was a member of the Washington State Forest Service who had been on fire watch at a, a tower in Diamond Gap, which is about 20 miles south of Yakima. <laughs> he reported that he saw flashes in the sky over Mount Rainier at about 3 o'clock on June 24th that appeared to be moving in a straight line. A Seattle newspaper also mentioned a woman near Tacoma who said she saw a chain of nine bright objects flying at a high speed near Mount Rainier. Unfortunately, the short news item wasn't precise to the date or time, but indicated that it was around the same date as um, Arnold's sighting. Other Seattle area newspapers also reported sightings of flashing, rapidly moving unknown objects in the same day, but not at the same time as Arnold's sighting. Most of these sightings were either over Seattle or west of Seattle in the town of Bremerton, either that morning or that night. Altogether, there were 16 UFO sightings reported that day in Washington state. On July 4th, 10 days after Kenneth Arnold's sighting, a United Airlines plane was flying over Idaho on their way to Seattle. They spotted five to nine disc-shaped objects that kept pace with their plane for 10 to 15 minutes before suddenly disappearing. The next day in Seattle, Kenneth Arnold met with the pilot of that flight, Captain Emil J. Smith, and his co-pilot to uh, compare what they had experienced. The main difference ended up being that the United Airlines crew had thought that the objects were rough in texture on top, but other than that, the accounts were very similar. The sighting ended up becoming one of the few that Kenneth would consider to be reliable. He thought that most of them were coming from attention seekers or people letting their, or their imaginations run a little too wild. Captain Smith and Kenneth Arnold became friends, 
and met with Air Force intelligence officers on July 12th to file sighting reports, and later would team up to work together on the mysterious Maury Island incident, which, yes, will be a future podcast episode. The military concluded that, It is the present opinion of the interviewer that Mr. Arnold actually saw what he stated he saw. It is difficult to believe that a man of his character and apparent integrity would state that he saw objects and write up, in a, port, write up a report to the extent that he did if he did not see them. Despite this, the formal public explanation the Army Air Force gave was that Kenneth Arnold had simply seen a mirage. In the following weeks of the Kenneth Arnold sighting, hundreds of reports came from all over the United States. Some skeptics have put forth their theories on what Kenneth saw that day. Some believe that he saw meteors and simply misidentified them, and others believe he saw pelicans, who are commonly seen in Washington, fly at high altitudes, and are pretty big birds. Interestingly, interestingly enough, their pale underside can reflect light, which might be an explanation for a flashing. Others believe that he was simply seeing clouds of snow blowing off of the mountain. I personally do believe that Kenneth saw something that day that probably wasn't a bird, honestly, or snow blowing off of a mountain. That sounds absolutely ridiculous. I think that he probably saw some, like, un, you know, unreleased military tech that they had going on. Or, hell, who knows? He could have even seen a UFO. Um, it is really fun to believe that it was UFOs. It's definitely a really interesting um, sighting, and if you guys want to look more into it, there's bunches and bunches to read on it. I think it's really interesting, so go check it out for yourselves. Thank you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities. I've got a really exciting, really spooky episode for you guys coming up next. I'm very excited about it. If you want to support the podcast, leave a positive review or follow the Facebook or Instagram page at Olympia Oddities Podcast. I'm at Trista Jean if you want to follow me on Instagram, and my Twitter is MKUlta, like the beauty store, underscore. Um, until next time, friends. Peace.